it's great to be here with you this morning, great to be celebrating Jesus Christ with you. In fact, uh, the series that we're in is called Celebrate the Savior, Celebrate the Savior. And so we've been walking through the greatness of Jesus Christ, seven different things that are awesome about Jesus. And our roadmap for walking through the greatness of Jesus Christ has been the Jewish feasts, those Old Testament feasts that were commanded to the Jews to be able to walk through. And here's the deal. Remember now, a feast looks back historically into what God is doing into the life of Israel. And so there's some things that God is revealing about his character as he worked with Israel as a nation back historically, looking backwards. But it's more than just some historical conversation. It's also looking forward to the fulfillment of that feast in Jesus Christ to the greatness of who Christ is and all that he's about as he fulfills each one of the seven feasts, all right? And so we've been through the last four feasts now. Remember, the first three are about the first coming of Christ. And so the first three feasts were about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. On the 14th day at twilight of the first month, right, that's Passover, Jesus Christ was on the cross, breathed his last, as the Passover lamb, him for me, exactly fulfilling that feast to a T. He became the Passover lamb. He was then buried right there on that next moment, moving into the 15th, and he became the unleavened bread, the sinless one, taking away our sin. He rose again on the next day, the 16th. He became the first fruits from among the dead. Those first three are all about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the absolute fulfillment. We serve the God of the universe, and Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. And all of God's people said, man, that's a huge deal. That's the first three feasts. The next one, the fourth feast, was 50 days later. It was called Pentecost for 50, uh, but it was also the Feast of Weeks. And that 50 days later celebrated Jesus sending down the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then coming to ignite the church as we know it. He ended up bringing hearts and lives together, softening them to who Christ is. And some 3,000 were saved that day alone. God knows exactly what he's doing. Everybody say, God's got a plan. Right? And so now we're moving into the fifth, sixth, and seventh feast, the last three. And those last three feasts are all about the second coming of Christ. So where we've been about the first coming of Christ, now we're going to be about the second coming of Christ. So we're going to jump in today looking at the Feast of Trumpets, and what do we have to learn about Jesus Christ as our gathering one, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, and we'll start in verse 23, Leviticus 23, starting in verse 23. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible's starting to open up to Leviticus 23 a lot easier now, right? It's been a handful of weeks in there, and uh, it's amazing how just spending a few weeks studying a passage opens it up. We're walking through the whole chapter of Leviticus. It's the seven different feasts, and we're on the fifth one now. So the first point here, instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan for rallying us all together in honor of Him. Celebrate that God has a plan for rallying us all together in honor of Him. This is instructional, right? Anytime you're in Leviticus, there's instruction that's being gathered, and God had been making it clear to Israel how he wanted them to worship back then, and so this was some of the instruction that was given to them, a rallying and a gathering that was going on to make much of God Almighty, all right? So we'll start here in verse 23. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the, speak to the people of Israel saying, 
So it's like the Lord is saying to Moses, hey, I'm going to tell you, you tell them, right? And so I'm telling you, you tell them, let's get the word out, Moses being called to be the leader. It says, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, let's just hang right there. So now we've got the roadmap, seventh month, first day of the month, seventh month, first day. Let me say it again, seventh month, first day. Everybody just say that with me. Seventh month, first day, all right? So remember, the first three feasts were all in the first month of the Jewish calendar. It started when uh, Israel was pulled out of Egypt, and they were released. They experienced salvation, and God's like, let's start the calendar year on salvation month. So the month that they were pulled out of Egypt, that became month one on their religious calendar, right? That's month one. A couple of months later, month three was then that feast of weeks and the Holy Spirit coming down, the church being rocked. Now we're out to month seven, all right? Now remember, when God tries to do something big, he often uses a number to reveal that he's doing something big, and that number is seven, right? And so now we're in the seventh month, and we've seen the number seven popping up all over these feasts. We're now in the seventh month and the first day of the month, and God's got some big things to say about it. And I just want to say, just so we're clear on this, uh, there's not uh, a lot of celebration in Israel today for this uh, feast. If you actually were to ask them, do you celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, or as it's called in Hebrew, Yom Teruah, uh, they'd be like, what is that? Most would maybe not know. Only those who are very uh, religious and conservative would be a part of it. But they do celebrate this day. They call it a different name. They call it Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. And you may have heard of that before. That's actually considered their civil new year, right? So remember, there's a religious new year. That's in month one. Their civil new year is in month seven. Go figure. Yes, their civil new year actually starts in month seven, right? And so it's a lot like maybe a business that tends to have financials that start on a different quarter than January, right? That kind of thing. And so they have a civil new year, and then they've got a religious new year. This is their civil new year. They call it Rosh Hashanah, or to say it in Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah, right? Rosh, it means head. Ha means the. Shana means year, so head of the year. So this is the beginning of their new year. They celebrate that instead. There is still some uh, that gather together to celebrate religiously, actually, the Feast of Trumpets, all right? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. It says, it was on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. Like, take a break. This isn't about working hard and grinding it out. Make sure you're making much of God and you're enjoying. It says, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation, a memorial. So they're looking back and remembering with a blast of trumpets, loud trumpets, like with a loud blast that everybody could hear because it's calling the people together. It is a gathering in cry, a huge blast of trumpets. That's what's going on as a celebration of this. In fact, they blow the trumpet throughout the day. Um, Jewish tradition is blow it a hundred times throughout the day of the Feast of Trumpets, all right? So a massive number of blowings, loud blowings, a memorial. It says a holy convocation. Remember what that means, holy set apart. Convocation, a gathering together. So we're all gathering together and we're setting this day apart for God. That's the Feast of Trumpets, right? And a huge celebration statement in it. It says, you shall not do any ordinary work. You shall, not, uh, you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So it says, make this about God. But here's what it doesn't say. What's it a memorial of? 
What are you looking back and remembering? And in fact, there is no scripture that actually says what the memorial is about. And so there is not a passage I can take you to where I'm like, thus saith the Lord, this is what it's about. This is what they're to remember. Um, so what I thought maybe would be a, a better moment to get a grasp of the Feast of Trumpets is, uh, for those of you who remember, my daughter is actually over in Israel right now. She's been there for this whole semester. She's studying abroad. So Alyssa is there uh, studying in Jerusalem at Jerusalem University. And uh, this seventh month, remember, that kind of occurs in the fall. It occurs like over this September time frame, right? So she went down to the Feast of Trumpets at the Western Wall. She took some video and was able to send those videos back. We pieced that together into a vid. And uh, so you can get a little bit of a taste of what they absolutely actually look like today celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. This happened about two and a half, three weeks back here, okay, just a few weeks ago. This is an actual celebration. Grasp the celebration in it all. Watch the different pieces and watch what they're doing to make much of God. Here we go. Hey Harvest, it's Rosh Hashanah here in Israel, which is also called the Feast of Trumpets. And so I'm gonna take you guys into the old city, down to the Western Wall. Um, to see the festivities. I miss you guys so much, but I'm so excited you get to see this. Okay, so that gives you a little taste of it, right? You could hear the trumpet blast. I love that giant thunderous trumpet blast in the beginning, this call out to repentance, and they're crying out for mercy. They rally together right at the end of the trumpet blast. You start to hear them dance and start to clap and laugh and celebrate as they make much of their God. They lift him up with all they've got, right? And then at the end of that, they go to a time of prayer and meditation, and they celebrate their God in the word. And this is a, and then the trumpet blasts again, and they come back around, and they start to go after it again. This is all about making much of their God, a call to cry out for mercy, a call for repentance as they look back to him. And, uh, you know, the Jews actually celebrate, uh, there's one story that they read on this day, the Feast of Trumpets. They read Genesis chapter 22. So they actually read about Abraham and Isaac, okay? So just real quickly, let's get all the way back here, make sure we get the timeline. Abraham, he is the father of all of Israel, right? 
And so his son, Isaac, was the one through whom the promise was going to come. God's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you massive numbers of people that are your lineage. And hang on, there's going to be a huge blessing through Isaac, okay? And so Abraham is expecting this promise. He's got the son, Isaac, and he's looking for that promise to be blessed through him. And then God comes back and says, hey, um, I'm going to need for you to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to take his life. And Abraham was like, I don't really understand, but okay, here we go. And Hebrews chapter 11 actually tells us the insight to his heart. It said he actually understood that this wasn't going to be the way it went down. Either there was going to be some kind of replacement for Isaac, or if Isaac was killed, he would be resurrected and brought back to life. He's like, I know that the promise is coming through, and whatever God's asking me to do, he's asking me to hang with him. So he went with him to Mount Moriah, took Isaac there. He ended up getting ready to sacrifice him, and God's like, stop. Hang on, look behind you. And there was a ram in the thicket. And that ram, God's like, use it as the replacement. So he took the ram, sacrificed the ram to God. Isaac is released. God is being glorified. He was fully trusted by Abraham and God provided, right? Just so we're super clear, when it says the trumpet blast, they use a ram's horn. And so they're looking back to the time of Abraham and Isaac and they're crying out, God have mercy on us. Like you had mercy on Isaac. Lord, provide for us. Lord, replace for us. We long for you to do a work. It becomes this blasting of a horn to celebrate the God who is merciful. Ready? And all of God's people said. I mean, that's a huge deal. What a great, sweet hope of um, mercy that we can have in our God. And uh, man, I'm just telling you, Abraham and Isaac was a story that was going on back then. And uh, just so we're super clear, Abraham and Isaac is a story that was also about a place, not just a time. They ended up uh, being at Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is the same place that the temple ultimately was built. And Mount Moriah was the same place that Christ ultimately then was crucified. Like this was the place that all of it would come down that we've been looking at. Is God doing a work at Mount Moriah? And here's the deal. Abraham, when he got done sacrificing the ram, he said, this shall be named the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And how much is that true about that place, man? That Jesus Christ, our hope, and the Messiah all over it, and the Lord will provide. And all of God's people said, and the Feast of Trumpets says, celebrate that the Lord will provide. He is merciful and he is righteous, may we come to him. And uh, Simple question, man, have you tasted of God's mercy? Do you know what it means to be saved and to be trusting in him? Are you leaning on God Almighty? And are you living a thankful life where you rally together regularly and celebrate him for his mercy? Right? That is the first point. Second, historical Remember the God of mercy who gathered his people to repentance and praise. Remember the God of mercy who gathered his people together for repentance and praise. Let's turn now to Nehemiah chapter 8, all right? Nehemiah chapter 8. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. It's like Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, right? So if you hit Psalms, you've gone too far, back the truck up a little bit, right? Ezra, Nehemiah, 
We're going to Nehemiah chapter 8. So I can hear the pages turning. I'll give you a sec to get there. I love hearing the pages turn. Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, as we pick this up, let's make sure we understand where we're at. So timeline-wise, we talked about Abraham, the father of all Israel, right? And then he had Isaac and that whole thing with the sacrifice. Some 400 plus years have gone by then, and now they're Israel, they're a nation, they're in Egypt, right? They're under slavery, and there's a thing going on where God is getting ready to release them, and there's the 10 plagues that God brings in to make the Pharaoh let them go, and now they end up getting released out of Egypt, right? That's the Passover moment that points forward to Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me. As they get released out, they come out out of their no longer slaves, and they get shown the promised land, and they're like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not sure I can trust God on that one. And so they back up and don't trust, and because of it, God says, all right, let's wander in the desert for 40 years here as I may clear who I am, and your kids are going to be the ones that I walk into the promised land. They wander for 40 years, they get to the edge of the promised land, and they get walked into the promised land, ready, on the exact day that they were released 40 years ago from Egypt. God has a plan. Now they're in the promised land, and they're there, ready, 800 plus years. Everybody say that's a long time. Okay, they're 800 years, and they're basically walking through having kings, and they're struggling, and they're trying to figure out life. They're making much of God, and then they're having falling aways from him, and it's gotten pretty bad. And God ends up bringing in Babylon, and he pulls the people out, exiles. They're back in slavery. They were slaves in Egypt. Now they're slaves in Babylon. And God's beginning to shape them, and they're realizing they've done it wrong, and it's time to get it right. At the end of the 70 years, God lets some remnant get back to Jerusalem to be able to build the walls in the temple that got crushed while they were gone. And they end up building the walls and building the temple. Can you imagine that? 800 years, and you've drifted away. God has pulled you back into slavery. He finally releases you out. What's your mindset? As they get there, they get the temple built, they get the walls built, they are ready to give it all to him. Now we pick it up, Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, before the water gate. So this is where you would walk out of the temple and you would go down to the water and you'd scoop up some water and bring it back up through there and it would be used for cleansing rites and everything else that they would do in the temple, all right? They would get uh, water through that gate. So it's named the water gate, right? And uh, no, this has nothing to do with President Nixon, right? And uh, make sure that's clear. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. The people are like, get the law. The people were saying that, not the scribe. The people call it out. They're fired up and ready to go. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, are you hearing it? Remember, the Feast of Trumpets is the first day of the seventh month. 
Does God have a plan or what? He's like, all right, you've been away for 70 years. Let's get you back and building the temple. Let's get the walls finished. Everything gets done. Let's rally you all together. What day does he put it on? The seventh month, the first day. A giant in-gathering call. I'm just saying this, man. God loves dress rehearsals, okay? And while this isn't the ultimate final fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets, this is actually an example of God pulling together a dress rehearsal to say, I am gathering people together to make much of me, right? God doing a huge work here. And uh, so it's the seventh month, the first day, and it says, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. I love that. He's like, let's rally together everybody who can get what we're saying. All ages who can understand what's going on. And uh, let's put them together. All that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. There was a massive repentance going on. There was a hardcore, let's listen to God moment that was taking place. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. This is for reading from. It says, and beside him stood some men. He had some people beside him. Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his right hand, and then Padeah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hisham, Hashbadanah, right? Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. You know, we just did child dedication today. <laughs> if you're looking for a good children's name, Nehemiah 8 can bring it, right? Uh, I have to say one of my favorites is Hashbadanana, right? You can call him Hash for short, right? And uh, who knows, man, you go through and pick out these names and, and uh, looking for an important name, man, I'm telling you, these guys were on fire for God Almighty and they were standing beside him as the law was being read. They definitely had their act together with God. And it says, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. I love that moment of respect. As he began to bring out the law, and they're like, we have not been listening to the law for years, decades. So as it came out and they began to read, they stood in honor. It says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Ezra was like, we serve the God of the universe. He's in charge. And they were all responding out, amen, amen. He was like, God Almighty has provided for us. And they responded out, amen. Man, this is a huge deal when there is truth called out to respond back with amen. The word amen literally just means this, so be it. May that be true. Yes, God. Amen. Like, that's it. Very simply. So as he's crying out, God is to be celebrated. The answer from the body is? Amen. Man, may we bring it with all we've got. May God get all the glory. Amen is the words we need to use. And I love the worship service that's beginning to take place. The word of God being read, the praise of God being brought, the cries of the people with amen. And then it says, lifting up their hands. Lifting up their hands. Yes, Lord, to you. They're handing themselves over, praising God with all they've got. And then it says, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
They went to the ground in humble repentance. This is an on-fire worship service, like cannot be measured on fire. And then some more names come in. It says also Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites. These are Levite priests who were on site with them. Notice what it says. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. So they were reading the words across. They just clearly read it as it said, read it out. They read it clearly and they gave the sense. After they got done reading a portion, then they explained what it meant, much like I just did right there, right? You read the word and then you explain the word. This is expository preaching on fire, man. This is God opening up the word, and as the priest begins to speak, and as they begin to explain, people are literally saying, Lord, we're listening, and the spirit begins moving as you read the word as it is, and then explain it out as it means. May we get the sense of it. Man, we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology around here, and all of God's people said, may God get all the glory. I love this model of the worship service on fire. It says they read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. May we all come together and have one understanding. May God get all the glory. That is a huge role of the worship. This is a worship, fire, or worship service on fire. All right, and uh, I'll just say this. I'll just read this quickly. That is next part. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep." I love that. Like as you're getting right with your God and you recognize the need for mercy, careful. Don't make this a moaning about your sin. He's like, hang on. For all the people, as they heard the words of the law, they were moaning and weeping. It says, then he said to them, go your way, eat and eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The feast of trumpets is a celebration. Everybody say it's a celebration. It is, man. And God has it in hand. He's managed our sin. And we come to him and we humbly repent and we apologize, Lord take over. Please forgive me. Be merciful with me. And God does an amazing work in the process. It is a celebration of the God who forgives. All right? And, uh, that said, I'm just telling you this past week as I went through this passage, I was brought to tears several times over. I love this passage. Nehemiah 8, I have just, all of a sudden, it's become one of my favorites. Why? Every time I read through this passage, it reminds me of this place every Sunday. Man, on fire in this room. As we read the word of God, and you guys are listening intently as there's statement made about the greatness of God, and there's people crying out, amen to that. 
That's right. Amen. May God get all the glory in this room as we're singing worship songs and people are raising their hands in the air saying, to you, Lord, comes this worship. Man, this place becomes a worship on fire and a dress rehearsal in a large way of what it's going to look like for God Almighty when he's calling repentant people to come to him. May God get all the glory. I love this place on fire. I'm humbled to be a part of it. Nehemiah 8, right here in this room. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, huge. And uh, so simple question for you. Man, have you repented? Are you handing it to him? Have you tasted of his mercy? Are you handing your sin to your God and getting it real? Are you making much of him? And make sure you remember the God who calls us together to repentance and praise. May we celebrate his name, all right? And now number three, the Christological. Worship Jesus who will ultimately gather his people to repentance and praise. Uh, worship Jesus, who will ultimately gather his people to repentance and praise. Remember, the word Christological, it just means it's about Jesus, right? Christological, it's about Jesus Christ. Worship Jesus with all you've got. He is the one who is gathering us together to repentance and praise, okay? Now, that said, I want to make sure we understand a few things as we move into these last three feasts, all right? These three feasts still have not been fulfilled, they are to be fulfilled, all right? They're coming. And so we would say it's about the second coming. It's future. That means there's not going to be chapter and verse that points to the fulfillment. Like we've had where it says, Jesus Christ, he is the Passover lamb. And then we can point back and know that there's a close there. Or he is the bread of life. And we can know he's the unleavened bread. Or he is the first fruits from among the dead, right? We can use the chapter and verse to point to those. As we look forward to this, we don't have that verse that shows us, all right? So there are some that will say, I think that all these other three feasts, these last three, are spiritually fulfilled, all right? Spiritually fulfilled. And in fact, there's a little bit of legitimacy to it. I'll just read this off real quickly. Um, what does it mean that like the Feast of Trumpets, the gathering together of people and a calling out for repentance, how could that be spiritually fulfilled? Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church. Now the word church in the Greek is ekklesia, called out ones. I will build my called out ones, my gathered together ones, the church. I am going to rally it together and I'm going to make much of my name. I will build my called out ones. That's the first, first Peter 2, 9. Here's another royal priesthood, a holy nation called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Man, he is calling us out of darkness, sin, selfishness, into his marvelous light. There is a gathering together and a calling out. This is going on all the time during the church here. 2,000 years plus of these things going on regularly, right? And Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the gathering together of the assembly. Did you know that? Scripture actually says, make sure you go to church. Did you know that? Hebrews 10.25, super clear. Make sure you get to church. It's on fire, man. The Holy Spirit meets us here. The word of God being read, we praise who God is and we make much of him. 
And the, that gathering that goes on regularly, weekly, as we all together are the called out ones rallying for his name. Yes, that's like a dress rehearsal, if you will, of this thing to be fulfilled. But I think it's so much more than just the ongoing uh, dress rehearsals. There will be an ultimate final fulfillment, and we're going to see that in the second coming, all right? And I want to talk about that in the rest of this here. So that said, in order to do that, um, we're going to take a look at something here. So you have this in your bulletin uh, at the bottom, all right? You should have an image there at the bottom of your bulletin, and we're going to walk through a timeline. And I want to make sure we can get this down, all right? So first, this is the first three feasts that we've talked about. This is Jesus Christ coming in his first coming, when he became the Passover lamb, he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose. These are the first three feasts, right? Back to back to back on the 14th, 15th, and 16th in that first month of the year that Christ went to the cross, right? All three literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled. Then we have the next step that happened where you end up with a little bit of gap here, I'll put, all right? Because there was 50 days between this point and this point, right? 50 days separation and then the Feast of Weeks and the Holy Spirit came. And then the church, as we know it today, was established. And here we are today in this timeline, 2,000 plus years of being in the church age. But these first four feasts, the three here at Christ going to the cross, dying and rising, and then the Holy Spirit coming, these four already fulfilled. Praise be to God. Ready? And all of God's people said... Okay, that's that part. Just so we know, though, God does have a plan to bring this to a close. And he's going to call it the tribulation as he brings it to bear. The tribulation brings to an end this church stage and its closure. This becomes a season of extreme sin being brought out and wrought. This is God's wrath then being poured down in a huge way, and it's being closed out. I just want to make this point, all right? Notice how this block is the same size as this block, right? This is 2,000 plus years. This is seven years. The reason it's the same size is because the word's really long, okay? <laughs> so just bear with, right? This isn't meant to be like scaled correctly, but so you might want to write in your bulletin over the top of the tribulation, seven years. This is 2,000 plus years over the church, right? So we're in this 2,000 years, seven years to come, still future, and at the end of that will be the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes again, he will bring a close to this whole stage, and at the end of this second coming peace, he will then establish the millennium. This thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ as king, he will reign over this thousand years, him in charge. King of kings, Lord of lords. This second coming is going to establish him in charge permanently. Praise be to God. Ready? And all of God's people said. And then lastly, we got eternity that comes with the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus Christ being a part of all of that. Let's just make sure we make this clear now. That means this is... We really read of this in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And you'll see this on your drawing there at the bottom. This is the Gospels. Then you end up with the Holy Spirit coming right at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And we have all of Acts all the way through Jude is the church age that we have going on, right? There's a point where we see the tribulation dealt with. This is Revelation. Really, it's chapter 6, but we'll just call it Revelation 1 through 19 is uh, dealing with this tribulation era, 
and the ending of the second coming of Christ, which ends at Revelation 19. This is Revelation 20, the millennial kingdom, and then Revelation 21 and 22. This is eternity with him, praise be to God, all right? That's the roadmap that we have in Scripture in the New Testament as we walk the timeline, okay? That's it. Now, I just want to say this. Remember, these were literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled. Literally, physically, consecutively. You may even want to write those three words down because it's going to be a big deal. Literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled. And now that we've gotten those first four that way, now we look to these last three and we look for them to be literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled. That brings them all together into the seventh month. You don't know this part. I'll tell you this though. They all now, the last three feasts, it's on the first of the seventh month, the 10th, and then the 15th, all within the seventh month, the first, the 10th, and the 15th, literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled, okay? Okay, now that I've said that, there are some that would say, well, I think the Feast of Trumpets is actually fulfilled with the rapture, right? There's a point where the church is called up out and the dead in Christ rise first, and then those who are alive and remain caught up with, and then there's this glorification and this time with him before a coming back. I think that rapture is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets, and clearly we know there is a monstrous trumpet blast, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, that can be a part of that. But, but here's the deal. We want to make sure we grasp this. If we go literal, physical, consecutive, that would end up putting multiple years between the rapture, that Feast of Trumpets, and the last true two uh, feasts, all right? So if we keep the three feasts together, that puts them at the end. That probably means the Feast of Trumpets is not ultimately fulfilled in the rapture. It might be that the rapture ends up on that day. Wouldn't surprise me. God loves dress rehearsal. We've already seen that, right? It could be, very well be dress rehearsal on that day. But I'm telling you, the ultimate final is coming literally, physically, consecutively at the second coming of Christ. That's where we're at, all right? So everybody's seeing the timeline. Rapture maybe out here. Depends where you're at, right? You might put it before the tribulation or maybe you have it right at the middle or front end or wherever you go with that, right? Scripture not exactly clear on where it's at. I probably lean most days to it being before the tribulation and pulling out, but wherever that rapture is, that's a dress rehearsal at best. We are now looking at the literal, physical, absolute, and consecutive fulfillment of these three trumpet blast feast elements, all right? So, that said, now turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to walk through uh, the alignment of this with the Feast of Trumpets. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29. It says here, immediately, uh, when? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Take a look at the timeline up on the stage. See the word tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, so you see where we've got second coming. Granted, it's a large one because of the wording, but it's all right at the end of the tribulation there, right? So it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, ready, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Please hear me, man. At this point in time, 
the celestials will start crying out, Jesus Christ is coming. They're going to start crying out, get ready. This is huge. The sun goes dark. The moon goes dark. The stars start falling. You end up with this monstrous statement in the heavens that this is it. He has established the sun and moon and stars as an indicator, as signs. And he's like, heads up, the sign is at hand. It says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And uh, the Son of Man, everybody say, that's Jesus. Okay. What is the sign of the Son of Man? And uh, we don't know exactly. There's some things you can innuendo to, but we don't know exactly what the sign of the Son of Man is. But know this, at that sign it says, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Please hear me, man. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus Christ, he will be mounting up He will be coming down in the clouds. And as he comes down in the clouds, the sun has gone dark. The moon has gone dark. The stars are falling. There are declarations in the heavens of absolute power. And then somehow this monstrous glory presentation of the greatness of Jesus Christ starts lighting up the sky. Like when you look up all the way around the earth, everywhere, a massive, thunderous, bright declaration that Jesus Christ is coming. Hear me, we also know from Revelation 19 that those who have been raptured up, those who are believers, are actually with him on the ride. Hundreds of millions, maybe billions of believers all around that globe celebrating the coming of the Messiah Savior, Jesus Christ. All of the angelic hosts joining in by the hundreds of millions and billions. Can you imagine billions unleashing a glorious light around the earth's atmosphere so that you grasp, we're small compared to that. That's what's going on. And it says, all the nations looked up and they mourned and they mourned. Because what they saw was the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and they grasped their smallness in light of God's bigness. And all of God's people said, man, this is a huge deal. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as he comes in glory, it says, ready? Jesus has now come down into the clouds. There is this bright light, power, glory, lighting up all the way around the globe. And then it says, and he will send out his angels, ready? With a loud trumpet call, right? We're starting to see that fulfillment in as the trumpet blasts and he starts to call together. The angels are the ones doing the gathering. Christ has only come partway down. He is hanging there. Think about this. If you're seeing sun darkened, moon darkened, stars falling, you have to go through some time to be able to see all those different things taking place. This is probably over the course of days that he is in the clouds, coming down slowly, thunderous, bright declaration in the skies of his authority and greatness. And then it says, the angels sent out with a loud trumpet call, the blast of the trumpet that is the in-gathering. Come together for repentance and praise. This is the final in-gathering, it says, and they will gather the elect from the four winds. 
They're gathering all those remaining in the tribulation who are the elect, who will trust in Christ, those who have trusted and those who are just about ready to trust. The incoming elect are gathered together as the angel now go, angels in plural now go out and gather them. And it doesn't say how or where they're gathering them, right? In my mind, I envision this is headed for Jerusalem. This whole thing's coming down where the Middle East there, and we know the Christ is returning at that point. Like, I think he's headed him over there. And, and you know, is the, are the angels like, get on LL Air and fly to Jerusalem? Like, is that how he's gathering them? Or are they like, boom, and just moving people? We don't know. But there is a monstrous gathering together of the final ones who will believe. And all of a sudden, can you imagine... As you are called together with the loud trumpet blast of the Feast of Trumpets, with the clapping and the dancing and the applauding and the celebrating of God at work, and you're looking up and the skies are lit with the greatness of the glory of Christ coming down. And in that moment, they start to recognize He is real. Jesus Christ, He is God Almighty. And all of a sudden, there is people coming to trust Him for the first time. He's the one. Jesus is Messiah. And they start believing in the one who is coming to bear. Hear me, Romans chapter 11. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all Israel will be saved. Everybody say, God has a plan. And I'm telling you, man, in the midst of this, he is coming down into the sky. There is this thunderous glory around. There is the elect being called together by the angels, and there is a massive celebration of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I cannot imagine. I cannot wait to see that moment. And man, if we are raptured up away, we're coming down with anyway. We're going to see it from that angle. One way or another, we are going to see this thing come unglued. Ready? And all of God's people said, And may we grasp that we serve the risen Savior and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, God Almighty. Let's just get one more perspective one more time here. So as we're walking through this church era, this 2,000 plus years, there's a time coming. Yes, there will be a rapture in, but we ain't talking about that right now. There is something so much more coming as the second coming of Christ. And as you walk through these seven years of the tribulation, whoever's there in the end will be a gathering together, a calling of the elect right at the end. And all who believe looking up are seeing the Son of Man coming down in the clouds and hanging probably days on end, his glory on full display, hanging here as these down here go, we have been wrong, and you are right, and we repent, and we're with you, and all of those coming to trust Christ right here at the end. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, that is an unbelievable promise. Man, don't forget, Christ is only halfway down. And uh, next week is the next feast, and it's on the 10th, and that is the fulfillment of him coming all the way down. And God gets all the glory. And uh, I just wrote these verses here. Hebrews 9, 28. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time 
but not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He has already dealt with sin. He has died and he has risen, and it is complete and enough. Praise be to God. We have life in him. We can have hope in him. As he comes the second time, he is not coming to try to provide more for sin. It's provided for. He is now coming to set all things straight. And all of God's people said, may we lean on him, may we celebrate him, and may we trust him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All right. 